Haven't our musicians and vocalists been great this morning? Yeah. It's so nice to enjoy this time together. Hey, Kyle, can adults come up and get crayons and activity sheets as well? You know, it's sermon time, so if you're feeling like you need some help, we won't judge, I promise. We've been having an enjoyable time during this Advent season walking our way through the Advent story, but one of the things we've been talking about this year is that the story is larger than we sometimes think it is. We tend to focus in Luke chapter 2, right, in that birth narrative. The songs that we sing always detail that, but the story of Jesus and his arrival to us in the first Advent, it begins all the way back in the beginning. So we've been using that wide-angle lens to look from beginning to end. In week number one, we talked about the glory of the heavens. And we began not in Luke chapter 2, but in the Gospel of John chapter 1. Because in that opening chapter of the Gospel, John begins to prove the thesis of his entire Gospel, which is that Jesus Christ is God. And so in those opening verses of John chapter 1, we saw that Jesus was there right alongside God the Father and God the Spirit creating all that exists. Jesus was there as part of the Godhead, and so if you want to begin at the beginning of the story, you have to go all the way back to the beginning of time. In week number two, we talked about the humility of the incarnation. Jesus making his move from where he was in that Godhead to here, to earth, as one of us in flesh and blood. We took a look at that Luke chapter two story, how they traveled to Bethlehem to be counted in the census how Jesus was born while they were there, how they had to flee to Egypt when persecution came, and then when Jesus was probably about four years old, made their way back to Nazareth where Mary and Joseph had begun. We talked about the fact that the timing of Jesus' arrival was just right, that the location of Jesus' arrival was exactly as it had been said it would be, and that the way he entered into the world was right as well. We also considered Philippians chapter 2 and its description of Jesus' incarnation, that in order to become one of us, he made himself nothing. He emptied himself of his glory, of his power, of his position, of his privileges, so that he could identify with you and with me in our humanity. Last week, in week number three, we talked about the humanity of Nazareth. We considered Jesus as a child, and really there's not a lot to go on in the scriptures about Jesus as a child. Four years old when he made his way back to Nazareth. One more scene when he's 12, when he travels with his family to Jerusalem for the Passover, and they leave him behind uh, as they make their way home. And they find him when they return and search for him in the temple, interacting with the religious leaders in his father's house. We get this beautiful picture of Jesus finally realizing who he is and what he's come to do, having an awareness of his mission and his role to serve as savior of the world. We're also told that Jesus grew in wisdom. He grew in stature. He grew in his relationship with God and in his relationships with people. He grew in all of those years leading up to the beginning of his earthly ministry at age 30 in the same ways that we grow. So he didn't just identify with our humanity in his entrance into the world as a baby, but in all of his growing and maturing, taking on the same challenges, the same ups and downs that we experience as human beings, all the while identifying with us. And we talked about the fact that that's what makes him our great high priest, 
He can empathize with all that we experience, all that we move through in this world. He didn't come just to save us ultimately. He came to save us in the here and now as he identifies with the lives that we live. But you know what? The story isn't over. We are part of the story, even as we sit in the pews this morning. We are in the midst of the story even now. And so our last message in this year's Advent series is going to come from 1 Corinthians 15, verses 51 through 58. Not your traditional Christmas text, but you'll understand in just a moment why we're referring to it. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 51 to 58. The Apostle Paul says this. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. 1 Corinthians 15 contains the promise of eternity. But the promise of eternity is linked to the baby who began his life in Bethlehem. He grew to become a man, and he taught us the ways of the kingdom of God. In his passion, he was willing to die on the cross. He rose from the grave, and in doing all of these things, he made the same possible for you and for me. He became for us the promise of eternity. The word advent means arrival. The nation of Israel had waited thousands of years for Jesus' initial arrival. They had ached for him to come. They had longed for him to come in the midst of difficult times. We're living in the midst of a second season just like this. We are aching and longing for Jesus to come again as well. We are the weary world who longs to rejoice. It doesn't take a lot of imagination to see how this world is in need of Jesus' return. To see the war and the strife and the poverty and the struggle to long, just like the nation of Israel did, for his return, for the redemption of all things, for things to be set right, as Kyle mentioned a few moments ago, so that they might come alive in the ways that God has created us to live and to be as human beings made in his nature. Paul is helping us to feel this hope, helping us to see that help is on the way, and we have something to continue to hope for as we look forward to Christ's second arrival. Paul begins at the beginning, saying, listen up. He gets our attention, and he says he wants to talk with us about a mystery. Now, when we think of mystery, we usually think of something that needs to be solved. It's a problem that needs to be solved. It needs to be figured out. Maybe it's even beyond figuring out. But the word mysterion that Paul uses in this passage has a different sense to it. It describes something beautiful that is about to be revealed. 
And that's what Paul wants to do in this passage for us. He says, let me tell you something wonderful. And he continues and says, we will not all sleep. Meaning some of us might be alive when Jesus returns. It's a wild thought, but that's what Paul's promising for us. But whether we're alive or dead, he says that everyone will be changed. Everyone will be transformed. There is the promise of change and transformation in our world and in each of our lives because Jesus is coming back. But how's it going to happen? Paul says it'll happen in a flash, in an instant meaning it's something so powerful that everyone will know. Most of us have seen uh, particular movies and read particular books where Jesus sneaks into town and sneaks back out and the people who are left wonder what happened. Did I miss it? Did I miss Jesus' return? But the Bible teaches a different story. The Bible teaches that we're going to know when this takes place, when Jesus enters back into this world. In fact, N.T. Wright says, it will be a great act of new creation echoing around the cosmos. So no, you have not missed Jesus' second return, but when it comes, it's going to be absolutely incredible, coming with the promise of transformation. But when is this coming? When can we expect this second advent? Listen carefully. We don't know. We won't know. No matter who says the time and the place, we don't know. We won't know. In fact, Jesus is the one who promised us this. Jesus said, but about that day or hour, no one knows not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. What exactly is going to happen when Jesus comes? How does this transformation take place? Paul says that the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, the mortal with immortality. He's talking about new bodies. The one that we're living in isn't fit for heaven. That's great news. I am ready to trade this thing in high mileage, salvage title. Like, I want to turn this thing in and see what my new body is going to be like. That's the promise that we have in Jesus and his return is he will equip us for all that we need to spend eternity in his presence, living in his kingdom. And that is such good news. How good all of this is. Paul says, death has been swallowed up in victory. He's quoting Isaiah 25 and Hosea 13 when he does this. He reminds us that the sting of death is sin, the kind of sin that corrupts us and that corrupts this world, and that the power of sin was contained in the law, but we know that Jesus came and fulfilled the law. He eliminated that power, eliminated sin's hold on us and the world around us so that we have victory in Jesus, and we will experience that ultimate victory when he comes again. Paul finishes with a therefore, giving an application to what he's been talking about. This promise of a future hope translates into a present responsibility. But don't worry, it's not an overbearing responsibility. It's really quite simple. He says two things. Number one, he says stand firm, meaning hold on to the hope that you have. Long for Jesus to return once again. Stand firm in that hope no matter how dark things might seem. No matter how out of control this world might feel, stand firm, hold on to this hope. And number two, give yourself to God's work in the meantime. Give yourself to the work of God in this world. Loving, serving, caring, and sharing. If we have to wait anyway, let's bring the kingdom to this world while we wait for Jesus to return. Because this hope and this work 
They're not in vain. This is the hope and the joy of the Christmas story. Please pray with me. Lord Jesus, we long for your return. We long for new bodies. We long for transformation. And we long in the here and now to live vividly in that hope that you promise. We can relate to the nation of Israel, all of that waiting in such difficult times. And we ask God that in the meantime, until you come, that you would use us as we do your work to be agents of change who bring hope and life and love to a world that needs it. We give you thanks for your original advent. We long for your coming advent. And we pray for hope and peace in the here and now. We pray it all, Jesus, in your name. Amen.